0: You're listening to the Soil Talk podcast presented by Central Valley Ag. This is Keith Byerly, Precision Ag Manager at CVA, and I'm joined by Tim Mundorf, Nutrient Management Lead at CVA. Welcome to Soil Talk presented by Central Valley Ag. Today, we're going to do a special episode while we talk about some of the after effects and and what we're going to be facing here in this growing season after the flooding that we've seen that has covered much of the Midwest, but really covered the heart of the Central Valley Ag Territory. So today, let's jump right into it, Tim. We've had fields that have been underwater for several days or weeks. We have fields that had a high velocity of water run across them for a very short duration. We see erosion. We see deposits of silt and residue and all sorts of things. So, where do we want to start today?
1: Well, the question that I'm commonly getting asked is, you know, there was a lot of water that went across my field and I had applied some fertilizer back last fall. Uh, what do you think? Is it still there or is it not? And I'll, I'll immediately talk about, uh, well, what form of fertilizer, are we talking about? Was it uh, nitrogen as anhydrous ammonia? Are we talking about phosphorus as MAP or MES? And what exactly are we talking about? And and then that's the first question you got to ask. You you need to know what nutrients you're talking about before you can even go into it. But a couple things I would say is you know as we look at nitrogen to start with, that soil was frozen. So as that water moved across it, it didn't, it wasn't able to infiltrate into the soil. And that's one of the reasons why we had so many issues with flooding. The, the rain that fell and the snow that melted couldn't go into the soil because the soil was frozen. Now, when soil's frozen, it really isn't going to affect nitrogen at all. Number one, the ammonia is going to stay as ammonia. It's not going to convert to nitrate. Nitrate that did already convert back last fall, well, you don't have water moving through the profile again because the soil is frozen. So it it can't push nitrogen out of the profile. It's not going to saturate the soil and denitrify. So when it comes to nitrogen, I wouldn't have any concerns at all.
0: The only concern was the erosion factor that went through it. I know that we see some fields, some of those Hillier fields where they knifed in the anhydrous last fall where erosion followed those knife tracks. And obviously, that is a completely different animal that we have to address and and think about there. But totally on board with you on those fields where erosion was out of the the equation on those anhydrous things. Nitrogen is is in there. Nitrogen was not affected by what we did by and large.
1: So when we think about phosphorus and especially something that's a you know a dry broadcast application, so we used a spinner, we used an air machine, we put down MAP or we put down MES. I think you've got some issues there you need to think about, but it's not just the answer that, hey, it all went down the hill and went down the creek. When did you apply it? So if you applied it back in the fall and we were able to get some rainfall or even a light snow on top of it that melted those prills and got them into the soil, then I think we're good. You know, we probably don't have to worry about losing any of it. But if you applied later and maybe there was already a little bit of snow on the ground, maybe the ground was already frozen and we didn't get melting again until we had the runoff and rainfall events, then you've probably got a little bit of loss. So I think that's the key thing right there is when you think about your phosphorus, did you have an opportunity for it to get into the soil, or did it go into a a hard frozen soil that didn't thaw again later, and then we got the melt, and then we got the rainfall? Those would be the things I'd think about.
0: So let's... I think instead of taking such a broad brush at this, let's break it down into a few different components as we go here. So let's start with those no-till acres. I look at these fields as I drive around that had no-till environment in play on it. And undoubtedly, yes, there are areas where the residue has exited the field. But I look at a lot of this soybean stubble, and it's amazing at how little disturbance there actually was. So I look at those areas where the residue is still where it was in December, and for me, I'm thinking there's pretty much minimal chance that our phosphates exited that environment. If the residue didn't move, the soil didn't move, we melted those prills down as long as it didn't happen two weeks before the the rain event came. If we had some time space in there between the two things, I think that's fine.
1: And I would say even bigger issue, Keith, and I know you and I have talked about this before, you know, when you're talking about phosphorus fertility or even potassium, we don't talk about one year application and this is going to make or break the crop. We try to talk about a fertility program. So if we've engaged that grower and we have worked with them in the long term and this year's application was just one more step in their fertility program that we generally orient a little bit around crop removal. You know, one year's application one way or the other, even if it did move some, it's very little impact on this year's crop as long as you've got a good base fertility level that you're building off of. Now, if it's a grower that's new to working with CVA or a grower who maybe really hesitates to do the, the grid sampling and the every year or every other year application that we would advocate, and he's just coming down and he decided that, oh my gosh, everything's really low fertility, I've got to put some phosphorus down, and he puts down a really large amount on a base of soil fertility that just isn't very good, that guy's got more
0: to worry about. Uh-huh. To that point, you look at what we try to accomplish out there. If you've got 20, 25 part per million as a base for your phosphorus recommendation out there, and the application this year was a crop removal-based application. So we put out 100, 150 pounds of, of MAP across that field, 70 to 80 pounds of phosphorus to address crop removal out there. If we lose half which i think is way on the extreme side we're talking about soil leaving the field when we talk about losing half but we lose half out there we lose 40 pounds of phosphorus out of that thing but we have a healthy soil that has good fertility built up in it for a rainy day we're really kind of splitting hairs here and worrying about what's happened the reason we do the fertility side of things instead of just crop removal is so that we've got insurance And sometimes that insurance is for when everything goes all the you-know-what and and Mother Nature gives us bad cards, but that insurance is also there for when everything goes right and we plan for 240 and the environment gives us an opportunity to take 300 off of it. Those are the reasons why we invest in our soil and building those things. When you maintain a soil phosphorus level of 5 or 10 part per million – you don't have insurance there to go draw from for either one of those extremes. So you're feeding it a crop removal and staying pretty flat. You don't have the necessarily ups and downs. I think that's one thing that sometimes is a little bit frustrating for growers about being in a fertility program versus just fertilizing a crop is, is that you get more highs and lows because you give the soil the opportunity to flex and give you the highs. And maybe not highs and lows, but highs. Yeah, I would agree with that Keith.
1: I and I think when it comes down to this event, this flooding event and and not just the flooding but the tremendous amount of water that moved over those fields because two foot of snow melted in two days. And we got three to five inches of rain on top of that. That's a lot of water. You got frozen soil. It can't infiltrate. You got a lot of movement for the guy who's in a fertility program and been working with us for several years. He doesn't have an issue at all. I wouldn't worry about doing any kind of bandaid application of MAP or MES because he thinks he lost some. Now, if you're the guy who's mined it down to, you know, five or 10 part per million and you you made an application and, and you're trying to you know limit your uh, amount that you're spending on fertilizer because you got some high rent, and you're not sure if the landlord's going to keep it around for another year, and you lost some of that fertility, and it was already low to start with. You might want to come back this spring and add a little additional fertilizer to make up for what you missed. So that that's the the nuts and bolts from an agronomic standpoint. That if you're in a fertility program and you're in it for the long term, you probably don't have any issues. If you're just putting as little on it as possible every year, then you might want to come back and do something. But the bottom line is, I don't think you're going to need to be applying a lot of phosphorus to fix anything that happened with this event. Now, let's move to erosion. What do we do? uh,
0: Go ahead, Keith. Random worthless fact of the day. If I did the math right, that three inches of rain that we had, that didn't soak in forget about the snow melt component of this three inches of rain that didn't sink in on a quarter 160 acres roughly 13 million gallons of water that ran off of that field
1: that's more math than i can do in my head but i'm gonna take your word for yep. it
0: i did. i'm glad i'm glad we're finally at this point where you'll take my word for something okay so to the erosion to the erosion point of this thing
1: so one thing a lot of guys will do, you know, if we're uh, if we're moving some soil, some land leveling, uh, you know, moving some ditches for for surface drainage, or we're putting on some terraces, anything like that where we move soil and we worry, boy, did I get all that good topsoil with the good organic matter back on top, or did I not? You know, we might recommend that a guy comes and puts down a little extra nitrogen in that area, a little extra sulfur, maybe some zinc. We kind of call it the the aid application for soil movement. When you go and fill that um, trench or gully back in with your disc and your field cultivator and, and probably your dozer blade on some of these bad ones, you might want to come and do that little Band-Aid application of maybe a, a MEZ uh, urea type thing or just a MEZ, actually the, uh, the phosphorus the sulfur and the zinc and MEZ, that's a real good Band-Aid. So maybe a Band-Aid application of MEZ where you have to fill your gullies back in. That might make a lot of sense. But other than that, I think you're in pretty good shape.
0: Right. I mean, we know we're going to move some topsoil from other parts of the field to, to bring in and make those areas farmable so we can just frankly get through it without breaking axles on these fields. And we're going to bury some fertility out there. Putting out something extra there with with the micro essentials or the map or the whatevers and using that pull behind buggy to address those areas, that's where it's appropriate. I really start to get concerned about the advisors, the people out there that are talking about, oh, we need to throw X on right now as a security blanket, safety net, whatever the, the term you want to talk about is, just to make sure we don't come up short. Yeah, I'm with you, Keith. I would disagree with that as well. To me in this day and age, and and this is something that I don't think we could have said two years ago, but in 2019 with the tools that we have, and when I say tools, we've evolved past NDVI as our primary indicators that come from fixed wing aircraft, from UAVs, from satellites and things like that to give us plant health from a 10,000 foot quote unquote view of those fields. Thermal sensors and things like that are getting to be more and more of the norm. For a few dollars an acre, we can take an aerial imagery platform and get weekly images on that field that help us identify areas that are slipping or, you know, outside of the norm of what we've got going on there. $5 for an aerial platform to, to monitor the field is pretty cheap table stakes. You know, even looking at a crop scout on some of your acres that were infected, not infected, affected this year, taking that seven, nine dollars, whatever a local crop scout in your environment costs you and putting them to work on a couple hundred acres is a pretty stinking cheap investment compared to 60 pounds of product X to go out there and apply. And Keep, keep that thought process going with what we can do with t- tissue sampling, what we can do with the UAV, what we can do um, with nitrogen modeling. I mean, we're I know we're going to get into this, but this also sets up when you get away from the conversation of what directly happened to what was already out there and start talking about what it sets up for the rest of the year. There are a lot of things from a monitoring component that we need to be thinking about versus a fix it, fix it, fix it.
1: Yeah, I would agree, Keith. Kind of like we go back to that, you know, if you're on a fertility program, you don't have a problem. If you're using a lot of these other tools that we've got access to, you, you've you also got the ability to identify any problem that does come up quickly and limit its impact to yield and maximize your opportunity to gain yield in places you can gain yield. The one other thing I would throw out there is a common thing a girl will say, well, hey, just go take another soil sample. Go take another soil sample and see if that phosphorus you applied is still there or not. And then we'll Will react accordingly the bottom line is the soil test isn't made to capture all the phosphorus out there it's made to be an indicator of the the possibility of reduced yield because of a lack of a certain soil nutrient when you throw a phosphorus fertilizer or any other fertilizer out there there's an interaction between that nutrient and the soil And when that interaction happens, some of that ties up into forms that aren't shown on the laboratory test. So I'm not confident that the laboratory test is going to answer your question, is it still there or not? So frankly, when guys tell me to go pull another sample and see if it's there, I'll quickly tell them I'm not sure that's going to work very well. We can try it. But to be honest with you, I find the results a little suspect.
0: So I think we beat that to death talking about what's happened to what's out there. Let's switch the gears now none of us are very good at forecasting what the future is going to hold or, or any of these pieces. But to me, I see some of the cards on the table right now that are that are warning signs and maybe warning signs is the wrong way of saying it, but, but leading indicators for some things we need to think about going forward. And probably for me, that starts with wet saturated soils. We know that our soil, soil profile is pretty well full out there. Even though this event didn't run into the, the soil, if we remember back to how long it took us to get through harvest last fall, we ended the year with a wet soil. And that's why we saw a lot of cracking and things from these soils over the winter was we had a good freeze. It went down four foot. It froze down deep because we had wet soil. When everything thaws out and we get average spring rains, We're going to continue to have a wet, saturated soil into the month of May at least.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that, Keith. And and you know that's going to cro- cause some problems with field work because because of that shortfall, the early winter, we didn't get a lot of work done. You know, as a cooperative on getting those acres spread or those uh, soil samples pulled. So we're playing catch up right now. We're we're sampling soils today. We'll be applying dry fertilizer as soon as the conditions allow us to. So we've got some catching up to do. I know the growers out there; they're going to be a little behind. It's going to take them a little longer to get out there and get some planting done. Like you said. You got a saturated soil, we get normal rains, it's probably going to push planting back a little bit. I I just tell everybody to be a little patient, make sure we don't do additional damage with compaction. We had a great freeze-thaw cycle, so we broke up some of our older compaction that was out there. Let's try to keep ourselves on that foot. I'm very optimistic about this growing season rain makes grain. We've got moist conditions out there. We've got a good soil profile that's filled up with water. We've got the opportunity to go out there and get
0: a really good crop. Let's make sure we don't uh, mess that up. So we started the conversation, though, talking about why our nitrogen was okay to date. What saturated soils and warming soils and into the heat of summer, does that nitrogen being safe thing hold true in the same way or are there some warning signs there that we should be watching out for
1: yep definitely some warning signs and we know that you know even though we haven't applied a lot of nitrogen yet Just the mineralized nitrogen that's coming available, that can be lost. And that nitrogen is some of the nitrogen we count on going forward with that crop. This might be a great year if you haven't done it in the past to pull the trigger and do some split application. You know, Maybe we do just a weed and feed up front, maybe get down, say, 60, 70 pounds of nitrogen up front, and let's come back and make application in season, maybe with a a dry spinner and urea. And that would also give us some opportunity to assess you know, at V6, what is our yield potential? Does it look good? Does it look like we're going to have trouble? If it looks good, well, maybe we're going to put a higher yield goal in there, and we'll push a little bit more nitrogen. Maybe this is the year that we pull the trigger and we use one of these nitrogen modeling tools like AdaptN, which CVA is using right now, and a grower could use AdaptN. They put down. That again, 60, 80 pounds up front, maybe in a weed and feed type application and use in to tell you what's that yield potential going forward. What's the loss of nitrogen that's been applied so far? What's the loss of the mineralized end? There's always some loss. And then it can make a a recommendation for us and we can apply that. We could even make that recommendation variable rate, especially if we've already gone out there and done some grid sampling and built some zones. I don't really believe in variable rate if we don't already have that base of grid sampling out there. What do you think?
0: No, I think you're on point with all of that. I think there's also another piece of this that goes back to the water that we had and that's the residue management side of this. So when I talk about that residue management side of this, We know that we've got a lot of fields that have corn stocks deposited in the low spots on them we've got residue that moved around and anything that's going out there with a top dress application of nitrogen is going to have a horrible lag time to it in those areas where we don't even if we incorporate it even if we run out there with a disc which may not be the best idea with with wet soils but even if we get that stuff incorporated The carbon to nitrogen ratio is going to be off on some of this stuff because where the residue ended up. So we've got to think about how we're going to address that.
1: That's one more reason to do that in-season application, to be honest with you. Don't throw it all down on a ton of residue. Split it up. Put some down on there. You need some to get that crop started. And that nitrogen will help that residue break down a little bit. But hold some back and let that residue break down a little bit. If you can, move the residue around a little bit. I'm not a big fan of tillage, especially on this hilly ground that had the worst problems. That's why all the residue is down the bottom. But you need to think through it a little bit. If it's bad enough that it's going to cause issues with your planter and keep that nitrogen completely off the soil surface for a long time, I would look at moving it around. Some of the worst yellow corn I've seen mid-season are areas that we didn't do a good job getting our residue spread with the combine. We get these areas with a lot of extra residue and it causes issues through the rest
0: of the growing season. So think through it. Which makes me think we're going to see some of that patchwork out there in the fields this year because we've got areas where all the residue got swept away. We've got areas where it's all going to be deposited at, and we're going to see different releases of nitrogen and stuff come available at different times.
1: Mother nature throws us something different every year. That's just part of farming. So, you know, be careful out there. If you can get things leveled out a little bit, great, but, you know, expect some issues like that. But again, I'd rather go into planting, having a decent soil profile than go in with a drought that's been lasting since the last summer. So, Overall, I'm optimistic about this season.
0: So I think the take home that, that you and I both want to convey out of this whole weather event, this whole thing is is that overreaction is is really easy to do, but it's probably not warranted in this case. And, and even if something bad did happen on some acres, our true opportunity to, to swing the pendulum and, and fix it right now isn't our best interest. Our best interest is to monitor, wait, and assess, and then develop a plan of action.
1: Absolutely. And a fertility program, a long term fertility program, is always much better than just year to year fertilizer applications at low soil test levels when you're asking for problems. The one thing we didn't talk about is the environmental side. You know, we don't like phosphorus to go down our rivers. You know, when when you get an event like this, I'm not sure that there's any way completely around it, especially when you've got the erosion that we've had. I guess the nice thing is there's a lot of water kind of pushing it through. But bottom line is, you know, think about it as a grower and and the problems you had this year with uh, some of that soil loss and maybe some nutrient loss on stuff that was applied to the soil surface. In the future, what could you do different? So... For that episode or for this episode of Soil Talk, I think we'll wrap it up. This is Keith Byerly and Tim Mundorf with Central Valley Ag. Join us next time. This is kind of a special program because of all the flooding and water issues we had. Do we want to put this one in here? But next time we'll talk about potassium management. And Keith and I have come to blows on potassium management before. So and you probably will again. You might get that again. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for joining us today on Soil Talk. If you'd like to follow us, you can follow us on Twitter at ACS by CVA. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Central Valley Ag. If you'd like more information, visit cvacoop.com, and you can see our Precision Focus blog videos every Thursday. With Soil Talk, this is Tim Mundorf and
0: Keith Beyerlinger.